Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Allison. And I'm Erica. And before we start, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying BC the Beatles, and of course you are. Why would you not? Of course. Feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatlemaniacs can find us. And... Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. You can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Hello, Erica. I don't know why I'm doing this. I guess I'm just really excited. (laughs) Because it's a Paul day. It's your favorite kind of day. It's the best day of the year, decade, last two years, I guess. Well, definitely this this dumpster fire of a year it is the best day yes it is the best day of 2020 today december 18th is the day that mccartney 3 is out so of course we're doing a special dedicated to a track by track analysis of the album hell yeah and i gotta say i'm getting a little bit nostalgic because if you remember erica way back in 2018 which seems like a million years ago now we were sort of dragging our feet on starting the podcast and Lo and behold, Paul's like, oh, guess what? I'm coming out with Egypt Station, so you better get on that. We did a special for Egypt Station. It wasn't our first episode. He sort of forced us to make one before that, but we did it about Paul and about his album making and his marketing tactics. We talked about Percy Frillington. So yeah, this is a little little throwback to that. I can't believe that was like two years ago now. I know. Where does the time go? I know. It's insane. Yeah, if you want to hear that, that is our episode one. And then I think this is special, but I think it's our second episode. I think it's our third. We had Yellow Submarine in between. Oh, wow. We were very productive then. We were. (laughs) I need to, like, revisit our archive. Um, But, of course, we're talking about mccartney 3 today speaking of being super productive in quarantine while the rest of us are eating too much and making sourdough yeah right paul like come on like why do you have to like show us up like this seriously absolutely ridiculous the lead up to this was pretty quick which is kind of fun it was a big surprise out of kind of nowhere yeah i mean we had a couple of hints over the summer this is a guess on my part I think that he probably surprised Capitol with this as well. I don't think that they really expected a new McCartney album. So it probably was a bit of a fire drill. And God bless them. They pulled it off. They did have to delay the release by week. But that's a miracle. And hats off to you guys over at Capitol. It was originally supposed to come out December 11th. But of course, coming out today, the 18th. And I mean, really, like the reason, come on. They went balls to the walls with the color variance partners like you know, the rollout with the marketing, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Yes. I mean, it was all very cool. And there was definitely a lot to chew on, shall we say, mm-hmm. when the announcement was made. The main album is 11 songs. And I think there are more color editions than there are songs on the Carnegie <laughs> 3 at this point. <laughs> I think you might be right. Especially since they've added the packs of uh, the vinyl and the ornament and the mask and what a t-shirt it's the kitchen sink i'm not even sure really it's just there's a lot there oh it's so much i don't know these things give me decision paralysis i never know what to do yeah i haven't ordered anything because i couldn't decide and then they were all gone <laughs> so, oh you missed the pretty violet one i did well oh. now i know when i was looking at all the different variants when we were you know preparing this episode i was like damn it i really wish i would have gotten like the pink version because favorite color but you know i eventually you know i'll get 
something, I'm sure. But I just couldn't decide. And yeah, I almost got the third man. We'll talk about it in a minute, but I almost ordered a third man. And then I was like, no. And then it was gone. So, oh. my life, bro. Ooh. Yeah. So, going back to the summer, and this is when we started to see like some hints drop. And I remember being on our Twitter and I saw somebody said, oh, guys, you know, McCartney3.com's reserved. And we were all abuzz about it. Except when you went there, it returned a 303 error instead of a 404 error. <laughs> Cheeky. And for those non-nerds in the audience, a 404 <laughs> error is what you get when it's a broken link that goes to nowhere. But a 303 error is more of a redirect. So that means there is something behind the error that we can't get to. Oh, I didn't know. So I, yeah, I know what a 404 is because I'm a huge freaking nerd. But I didn't know there was such thing as a, an actual 303 error. Mm -hmm. It's a redirect status response code. Oh, yeah. I just thought it was like a cheeky thing, but they may have like set it up on the back end then. Probably just it wasn't ready yet. And yeah. somebody found that. And I never would have noticed if somebody else hadn't pointed it out. You know, 303, I would have assumed it was like a 404 yeah. and led to nowhere, but nope. Interesting. Well, we all learned something today about uh, back end programming, which, yes. uh, you know, really is is the other theme of our podcast it's of course it's full stack background database etc yeah anyway so also over the summer we had a gq article come out with paul he alluded to making new music in lockdown aka in rockdown which we'll talk about in a second and it made total sense i think to those of us who read it that he might be preparing a new record because it's kind of like how he made mccartney and McCartney too, which were largely solo efforts. And he was pretty isolated. And, you know, especially McCartney too was really experimental. So, you know, when Paul gets in the studio, come on, there's something weird going to come out oh, more times sure. than not. Like when he's by himself. Yeah. For an extended period of time. And an interesting throwback to McCartney is that he was on self-imposed isolation then. He was making it right when the Beatles were breaking up, when he went to the farm with Linda. You know, it was around the time that he was really depressed and drinking a lot and just in self-isolation. And so there is that bookend feeling to McCartney 3 where he made something out of this imposed quarantine that we're all in. Yeah. And as we'll talk about when we go through the tracks, Paul actually realized that. It occurred to him that he made McCartney during what he called the horror of the Beatles breakup. And now he made McCartney three during the horror of the COVID pandemic. It wasn't lost on him. The profundity of that. Damn it, Paul. You always got to see the good in everything. So damn optimistic. <laughs> oh yeah. And we'll talk about that in a minute, which I, one of the tracks, which is one of my favorites, but uh, it's all about that pretty much. So before the album's announcement, uh, we began seeing these dice die. What is it? I think it's a die. It's a single die with the three dots showing. Yes, exactly. The die. So it was beginning appearing pretty much everywhere. It was on his Twitter bio, Instagram, Spotify added it over animations to songs from the McCartney and McCartney 2 album. It was like a hand actually rolling it, landing on a three. And then Paul's Twitter started posting photos featuring three things. And I didn't even realize this. I had to wiki it today. But his Twitter posted them at 33 past the hour every time. Oh, my God. And I oh my God. would have never noticed. <laughs> Maybe I'm not observant. I don't know. That's so subtle. So, yeah. So finally, they confirmed what we all believe to be true anyway. And McCartney 3 was formally announced on October 21st, which was a great day. And then all hell broke loose. Just in the vinyls alone, how many colors do we have? We have yellow, red the Coke bottle green vinyl, 
regular green, orange, pink, blue, white, yellow, well, another yellow, okay, that doesn't count, violet, and then the standard black. So yeah, we're at 11. Hey, that makes sense, 11 tracks. Exactly, not to mention it's on CD and streaming, so you can get it anywhere and everywhere. Yeah, and if you manage to snag the yellow with black dots in Third Man, there's only 333 released of those. Like, first of all, congrats. And I'm also, I'm jealous because that would be the cool one, I think, to have the coolest. Did you order one? I'm getting a blue one for my birthday, one of the Australian ones. Ooh, nice. So instead of releasing a single, which he's done for Egypt Station, I mean, you technically not technically, but you traditionally do it. Um, he decided to roll out the track listing via 12 murals. Hashtag 12 Days of Paul, which started December 12th. It started before that, though. I think the first mural came up, went up uh, December 6th or so. So we talked about it a little bit on our last episode. Yeah, I think there are already three available by then. Yeah, because ours went up here in LA. And I posted the photos on our Instagram. You can go check it out or, or our Facebook, Twitter which is the mural on the Capitol building, which is fine my way. But now they're all up. So just go through them really quick. The first one is in London, which is the first track of the album, Long-Tailed Winterbird. Two, Los Angeles, Find My Way. Three, uh, Mexico City, Pretty Boys. Four, Sydney, Australia, Women and Wives. Five, Toronto, Lavatory Lil. Six, Berlin, Deep Deep Feeling. Seven, New York City, Slidin'. Eight, Tokyo, A Kiss of Venus. Nine, Chicago, Seize the Day. Ten, Paris, Deep Down. Eleven, Rio, Winterbird slash When Winter Comes. And then, interestingly, twelve, Liverpool, Wonderful Christmas Time. Why not? And you were happy with your city's choice of song. I don't know how I feel about mine, but whatever. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. I mean, I was super happy because that's probably, I mean, that was one of the ones that leaked ahead of time and i was just super excited to hear it or see it you know on on the side of capital so he didn't release a single but he did do something that i thought was kind of like uh, it was very frustrating for me and for a lot of people Mm -hmm. um if you subscribe to his newsletter or follow him on spotify he released these little eps on spotify and they had themes like love home holidays and family I remember when Home came out, I think it was the first one, and we all were like, oh my god, like, he's gonna drop a track from McCartney 3. No, it's just a compilation of tracks that sort of follow that theme of Home and the other themes that are the title of the EPs. Interestingly, these themes, aside from, like, Holiday, probably, were omnipresent on the McCartney album. I don't know if he meant to do that. I was reading that somewhere, that it sort of happened that way. But it was interesting that it sort of fell that way. He definitely meant it. Every little bit of micro-marketing that he does, I feel, is intentional. That's true. That's true. You know, shout out to Paul. Shout out to his team. I mean, they, they kill it every time. They really do. Seriously. And this time they had to find a way to make all of these grand marketing gestures virtual. Think about how they did it. They put these big banners on walls in cities across the world where people don't have to get together to see them. And they can see them when they're out and socially distanced. And then they go back to their homes and they can make a creative project, just like Paul did with McCartney 3. I mean, the the whole thing is just like it's a masterclass on marketing. It's so good. And one thing that we forgot to mention is that each of the tracks, although the, the actual track by Paul wasn't released, people have been covering the songs based on the sheet music. And they've been on the Internet. Paul's been sharing them on his socials. 
it's been a really unique way to sort of see the rollout. And I'm really interested to hear what people think of the tracks after they, you know, since they've heard the covers first, then they'll hear the actual tracks. I always think of, and I didn't look this up ahead of time, so I don't know specifics, um, but one of my favorite examples of this sort of surprise marketing kind of like this was when I think it was Donny Osmond, I think in the eighties released a single, but by then he was pretty passe. So Mm -hmm. they mailed the single with blank label out to stations and they started playing it on the radio and people were going crazy. They're like, who is this? Like, this is a great song. And I can't remember the song, but um, it's kind of like that where it's, I was thinking about that as I was listening to the album, like, gosh, what if like one of these tracks got mailed to a radio station, like one of these covers or something and sort of just got airplay and then it's revealed to be a Paul McCartney song from McCartney 3. Like, that would be so brilliant. That would be amazing if we found, like, the next Billie Eilish out of something like this. Oh, that would be so cool. That would be amazing. And, I, yeah, I like that it's not big names doing it. Of course, that would be cool. But I love that it's, like, local artists in a lot of cases. And just at their computers doing it, they're really spotlighting these smaller up-and-coming artists. It's so cool. Yeah, I love it. So, Erica, shall we get into the album let's get to the nitty-gritty here we have not discussed this album prior to this podcast episode no so these are our thoughts for the first time we have no notes in front of us about the other's opinion we have nothing we didn't even discuss it when we like discovered the leak of by my way no nothing so yeah pretty exciting to discuss this um just a couple of fast facts about this album is paul's 18th studio album and you guys probably all know this but the instruments and vocals are all by Paul. It's produced and composed by Paul. It was recorded in Rockdown um, at Paul Studio in Sussex, which is called Hog Hill Mill. The label description for the album is McCartney 3 is a stripped back, self produced solo work marking the opening of a new decade in the tradition of Paul's 1970 debut solo album and 1980's second one Paul band effort, McCartney 2. I actually didn't even realize the whole decade thing before I read the description that's so paul to be talking about ushering in a new decade rather than you know an end cap to the horrific dumpster fire which was 2020 so that's yes that is nice thank you paul Mm -hmm. um and like we said it was made in a rockdown which is such a paul thing to say instead of lockdown it's such a dad like you know he was like guys listen it was made in rockdown and he just yeah. thought he was a genius. And his kids were embarrassed because that's what happens when you tell dad jokes like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And also this album is dedicated, uh, it says in the booklet of the CD, to Eddie Klein. He died in July. I couldn't find out a cause. I'm not sure if it was COVID. Uh, so I can't say. He was a former engineer at Abbey Road, which is where he met Paul. Um, And then he went to work for Paul in the 80s and was still working with him until recently. And Paul also credits him with putting together his recording studio. Like basically Eddie knew every knob, every switch, every everything. So it kind of makes sense that he would dedicate this album to his friend Eddie. Uh, And yeah, that's very lovely. Yeah. So, all right, here we go. All right. Do you want to start us off with the track listing? Track number one long-tailed winter bird this was an interesting start to the album um it's a mostly instrumental track the lyrics are almost nonsense but it really sets the tone it's like a layered acoustic track that feels like it's preparing us for what we're going to get 
you know, this homemade kind of simple album, but in a good way. So to me, much more like McCartney than McCartney 2. Not only does it let us in on the methodology, but, you know, for those who are expecting some epic long and winding road, maybe I'm amazed, you know, it sets expectations that this is at home. This is kind of an experiment. He said about it, each day I'd start recording with the instrument I wrote the song on and then gradually layer it all up. It was a lot of fun. It was about making music for yourself rather than making music that has to do a job. So I just did stuff I fancied doing. I had no idea this would end up as an album. I feel like that quote absolutely describes what this song is. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. a jam session, sort of reminds me of some of the looser tracks on electric arguments for the firemen. It also kind of reminded me of the overlapping animal sounds on Good Morning, Good Morning, the way you mm. just kind of like, how much bigger can you get? How much weirder can you get with the instrumentation? It's cool. Interesting. Yeah, I, think? I like that comparison to Good Morning, Good Morning. I like this track. Um, I think you're right. It does sort of set expectations. I really like the guitar arpeggio and the layering of it in the beginning. It's very Paul to do that. It sort of reminded me of Heather from Driving Rain. Just those arpeggios where he falls in love with an arpeggio and just does it Mm -hmm. over and over and over. But I liked, I liked the dissonance of it. I liked that it wasn't an expected sort of, it set like sort of a minor key kind of tone there as the guitar overlaps. I also like that it sort of alludes to lockdown. So the first hint, and there's a lot of them here, but the first hint that this was made during COVID, which I think he expresses something that we all feel, which are the lyrics, you know, do you feel me? Do you miss me? Do you trust me? Like Mm. this sort of like questioning of relationships and nobody really knows what's going on (laughs) right now or with other people. So I really, I liked that. I just felt like it sort of spoke to the COVID times, but I think it was beautiful. You know, I think it's very Paul. That kind of wailing main guitar melody that he kind of starts with, and then it starts the last track on the song. Like that's mm-hmm. really striking. And even the, you know, do you, do you, do you see me is, is a classic McCartney earworm. So there's yes. little bits in this that really, really stand out among the whole jam session kind of feel, you know? Yes, yes. I'm going to save my overarching opinions of the album till the very end. But I think that is something we can probably say about McCartney 3 in general is like the jam vibe of it is definitely here. And so this is this kicks off what to expect with the other 10 tracks. And also, yeah, I think listening to this as big McCartney fans like we are and like our listeners probably are, too. You know, it's like we could definitely see links to other McCartney songs or just like typical Paul, like the do, 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 do you, do you oh, see me? Sure. Like, absolutely. Like that's, that's Paul to a T. To make an even farther out McCartney reference, the way that he plays guitar, I found was really interesting here on the acoustic because he's really like heavy jamming and you can feel like you can hear how his fingers are sliding up and down the neck. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. Um, you know, I was thinking back to his Martin guitar where he wrote a song about that on Egypt Station, Confidant. Yeah. And then it brought me back to my personal man crush, Lawrence Juber, because it reminded me a lot of the way he plays. Oh, yeah. Side note, <laughs> unrelated to McCartney 3, but about Lawrence Juber, if I might. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you didn't sign up for this, listeners, but you're getting it. I was watching the pretty terrible tv movie i guess a very brady christmas 
okay last weekend and i did not know that lauren schuber did all the music for it that's right i remember reading that in his bio now i have to watch that movie again thanks yeah you're welcome i guess he does a lot of the stuff for like he did a lot of stuff for brady reunions and all that but i did not know that so yeah lauren schuber (laughs) nice but yes definitely can hear the similarity to like a lauren schuber style playing who was with him during the mccartney 2 album yes so there we go right right before when wings was uh, disbanded right before but right yeah Yeah. so let's continue on because i really want to talk about find my way because it's my favorite song on the album i think okay go for it (laughs) (laughs) so find my way i mean this is very pandemic-y paul talks about anxieties you know people who had no worries or having worries he told Uncut, actually, that he knew people who were close to going under with COVID. And so the anxiousness of the beginning of the pandemic was really behind the song. Paul has said for those people, for his friends that are constantly worrying, constantly anxious, he can pretty much find an optimistic exit from a bad situation, is what he said on Adam Buxton's podcast. And to that, I say, good for you. <laughs> of us some of us um, are pretty anxious and are pretty anxious during this time Mm -hmm. so but he sort of saw this song as a way to kind of shepherd his friends and those feeling anxious through the covid pandemic i love this song the first time i heard it i was like i don't know i the whole like i know my left from right i was a bit like okay whatever as a lyric but as somebody who trivia about me i don't know my left from my right so I was a little bit like, okay, braggadocious. Like, you can tell you're left from your right. Um, well, he's left-handed. He has kind of an advantage in that way. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, but I, I again, love this song. I think the Mellotron is amazing. And I'm pretty sure this is the Mellotron that it was on Strawberry Fields Forever. That's the Mellotron that's in that studio. And if you listen to our Fleming Pie special, we talk about the documentary included in that where he shows off at Mellotron and it takes you through the instruments in Hogsmill. And I love, it's like a sneaky little harpsichord sounding part. It's in the beginning and then it sort of sneaks in towards the end. Mm. And it just sort of, it's a little bit like ever present past from memory on the soul. Just a teeny tiny little part of that. And then I thought the, he has just like a part that's like an ooh, bop, bop, Barry Paul. It's like, ooh, bop, bop, yeah. And then he says, oh, yeah, in the middle of it. And I Mm -hmm. was like, this is so, like, 90s. It reminded me of stuff we heard in the radio in the 90s a little bit. But it's definitely the most pop, mainstream pop song, I think. I think this probably would have been the single um, if there was one. Yeah. Yeah, and the way he situated it on the album, I think, too, because he starts with this bookend thing that comes back, but then this is the first big song. And I think that this is the song that he really expects us to perk our ears up at and be like, oh, okay, you know, here we go. And he really did that. I, I love, 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 love the way this opens with those big chords. It sort of reminds mm-hmm. me of the riffs in the Who's Tommy. Oh. Yeah, it was really like banging. I loved it. And then speaking of banging, the fucking drums are so good. And then you remember he played those too. <laughs> I had a couple of moments like that on this album where I'm like, Jesus Christ, he's playing the drums. Like I had to remind myself. That's so funny. Oh, God. Yeah. 
I actually listened to the song before I read the lyrics, so I didn't know that it was about anxiety and lockdown. Like you only hear pick up a few lyrics and yeah, I picked up that left from right and like this I can help you sort of thing. And it sounded so cheery and optimistic, like a summer song, you know, like a song that makes you smile and dance. Like in the music, there's nothing too heavy here. But then when you read the lyrics, there's a juxtaposition there, which is also very Paul and just it's just a layered optimism, which I really like about it. Yeah, I do, too. I could see this one being busted out in concerts. Hopefully we get a Paul concert in the next little while. God, Uh, please. This is very much like a come on to me kind of thing where you can definitely see people singing along to it, dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I My ears perked up right away when he said overwhelmed with anxieties because I was like, yep, that's me right now. <laughs> I get that because, <laughs> you know, this year has been a lot for all of us. And, you know, it's it's kind of nice to know that Paul, even though he does feel like he's able to sort of compartmentalize and, and get over things and come at things with optimism, he recognizes what this year has been you know it wasn't lost on paul which is actually like a comforting thought i don't know why i guess because hashtag celebrities are like the rest of us but Mm. it's nice to know that paul has been with us all along i don't know if that makes sense but it totally makes sense and it's part of the reason why i fucking love him and i will be an apologist until the day i die (laughs) because he's just got this way of pulling the light out of the dark sometimes you know he makes masterpieces out of personal pain which are veiled in metaphor and in this way he's you know suffered through the pandemic was personally in lockdown you know just like the rest of us were and thought about how he could make art out of it yes i have something to say actually that might contradict what you said but um i'll save that for a later track (laughs) oh i can't wait for the argument it comes into play later um but i mean in general, I will say I, I agree with you in general, but um, yeah, I'll have some some nuggets to contribute later on. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Sweet. Well, let's yeah. uh, move on to Pretty Boys. This was an interesting song. At yeah. first, I was like, this is sort of, you know, it's sort of cute. It's sort of weird. It's sort of acoustic. It's definitely not one of the songs that if I was to call out three tracks in this album, I would say, whoa, that's amazing. It kind of almost feels like a campfire song. Uh And yeah, but what I liked about it was that even though it kind of has that very relaxed feeling, it's about such a a, a weird thing about the way you feel or he feels when he has to pose for photographers. And I think he said something like, you know, when they say like, make love to the camera. And, you know, I think how commoditized that feels for him. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. It's, it's something that obviously he's been dealing with for his whole life. And I've never thought about it. I've never thought about that once. I mean, I have a million pictures of the Beatles. We've seen thousands and thousands of different pictures of him. And he's got opinions about this. And it's just interesting because it's like, it's a kind of an anxiety song to me, even though mm-hmm. it feels very nice and acoustic. But the lyrics, they have this undercurrent of being unsettling. It's interesting to me because he told the New York Times about that very concept. You know, the song was inspired by being photographed and being told to perform for the lens. But the photographer in particular that he singled out was David Bailey. David Bailey took beautiful portraits of John and Paul. Brian also in the 60s uh, was very, very famous, worked a lot with Gene Shrimpton. And 
it's just very funny to me that he goes back that far with it where it's like is he still thinking about david bailey being like you know make love to the camera and getting you know is this that what he's drawing from all those years ago it's it's interesting that he chose bailey uh for that yeah probably really made an impact on a very young person who'd never done that before you know, right. just starting in the very early days, at least, and comparing them to bicycles for hire. I thought that was super dirty and funny, even though I don't think he meant it that way. But it. <laughs> it didn't even occur. I'm so like, I'm so innocent. Didn't even occur you are not. Like Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I didn't actually occur to me that way, but I do like how, uh, yeah, he. So the pretty boys in the song are male models, um, and Paul does compare them to bicycles for hire which i'm assuming is like a city bike situation that he's drawing on i like this song and i gotta say this is one of the ones that is growing on me the more times i listen to it i don't think the first listen through i would have gone back to it but i think it gets more infectious and it gets more ingrained in my brain the more times i listen to it yes it is one of those classic paul acoustic songs you just gotta have a couple of those on an album so i think he might be just sort of like filling the slot but I think it's interesting. Yeah. And like you said, I think the subject matter makes it really unique and quirky. Yeah. If it was anybody else singing it, we might not really think about it. But whenever he does something that harkens back to the past that we have all been obsessed with for so long, it just adds this interesting extra layer to the song, whether the song is memorable or not. Totally. And yeah. You know, if you think back to that GQ interview that he gave over the summer, he sounded extremely nostalgic. I think we we talked about it at the time, I'm pretty sure, Mm. because he's really like, you know, in lockdown, gotten a chance to really think back on the Beatle years and John and these little experiences that he may have forgotten about. And maybe that was one of the things where he's like, you know, goddammit, David Bailey. Like, (laughs) I felt like, you know, (laughs) I could see that happening. Uh, Yeah. So I, you know. This track it's all right it's sitting in third position which i think is a good spot for it in the album i feel like he usually has an acoustic in third position i'd have to go back and look at that but that just yeah feels like the right. right spot for a paul album well following pretty boys we have women and wives so women and wives uh inspired by a book paul's reading on lead belly which makes sense and it largely delivers advice that Paul seems to be handing down to the younger generation. There are lines like many choices to make many chains to unravel every path that we take makes it harder to travel. And what we do with our lives seems to matter to others. Some of them may follow roads that will run down chasing tomorrow, get ready to run. He's got these sort of directions for, you know, he said being a father, grandfather sort of inspired him to contribute lines like that. And it is a bluesy song, you know, It's, it's but it's in a waltz tempo, which is really interesting. I could definitely hear the Lead Belly influence mm-hmm. in his voice. Yeah. And I like that because Lead Belly was a singer and a songwriter, like more of the folk type. And his version of Rock Island Line was the one that inspired Lonnie Donegan's recording of Rock Island Line, oh. which inspired the skiffle craze. George Harrison once said that if there was no Lead Belly, there would be no Lonnie Donegan, no Lonnie Donegan, no Beatles. Therefore, no lead belly, no beetles. So, you know, that that's another. That. <laughs> yeah, it's like another like it gives me chills to kind of think about yeah. it. And he was reading a biography of this, you know, iconic folk singer. If you've never heard lead belly, like, wow, you got to oh. listen to his rock online. It's incredible. Talk um, about a freaking voice that will take oh, your breath away. Yeah. God. And, and, and Paul's kind of 
trying to channel that sort of style. Yeah. You know, he, he sort of uses that voice that he used in the heavier bluesy voice he used in Lady Madonna. He used it in Get Me Out of Here on New. Sounds a lot like that song to me. Yes, definitely. And I also thought that the heaviness on the piano really reminded me of Too Much Rain from Chaos and Creation. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, people have called Chaos and Creation McCartney 3, the tongue-in-cheek, but I definitely got that vibe from it. And I think this is the track where his voice, it was really perfect for the arrangement, the vocals, the, you know, the, the lyrics, everything. I think his voice sounded great on this track. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He he has he's learning how where his strengths lie now, and he's for the most part, and we'll get to that exception later. But for the most part, he's oh, will we? right. Yes, we will. Um, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> he was writing to his strengths. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, it's kind of a dark song just because it sounds kind of ominous as he's singing it, but it is mm -hmm. really. It also feels luxurious in a weird way. But I loved loved learning about the lead belly influence behind this and where he sort of was reading the bio sat down at the piano and started with the first line you know about women and wives and the rest sort of came tumbling out to hear him tell it i feel like what you just said like ominous but luxurious that's also kind of a way to describe what it feels like to listen to lead belly like he really did yes he, oh, that connection totally. is so good oh all right well now i just need to go listen to lead belly the rest of the night oh my god so good so good Shall we? Hey, let's, let's move on to the next track, Lavatory Lil. Go for it, Erica. Okay. At first, <laughs> I really did not think I was going to like this. I was not looking forward to listening to it because the name is so gross. Yeah. Gross. But it's one of my favorite tracks in the whole album. I love it. Oh. It's a, To me, it feels like like a new version of Helen Wheels, kind of the way it's like a hard driving guitar and he has his echo of Paul in the background behind him. Like it really made me miss Linda because she would have sounded so good on those background vocals. Oh, she would have. You're so right. Yeah. Oh my God. I could tell you you're there. <sighs> yeah. And I just love the way the song felt so classic rock Paul. Like sometimes Paul does like rocking out that doesn't feel totally authentic, but this song to me felt super authentic. Well, if you, I mean, first of all, the vocal was first take vocal. He didn't re-record it at all. Um, so it was very quick and dirty, like that rock and roll style, but also, so Lavatory Lil is code name, word, whatever, for somebody who Paul told the New York Times, someone who screwed him over, basically, and he will never, ever divulge who it is. But the person who is about, and he, will know who it is. I love that so much. He, he like, fucking went off. Like, I did not expect this, but he described it as someone, quote, unquote, we rubbed up against. And he, quote, drew on my dislike of this individual and made her into a song character. And like, he was not ambiguous about that at all at all. So I think that was something that made me enjoy the song a lot more being like, okay, well, there's, there's definitely something here under the surface. Yeah. And it's badass. And he's not usually this upfront and kind of nasty. Like she's acting like a starlet, but she's looking like a harlot, harlot and she's yeah. slowly heading over the hill, lavatory. Like that's nasty. That is nasty. That is, plus calling somebody, you know, lavatory Lil, that's gross. Yeah. I mean, do we have any guesses about who it's about? The only person that I could think of off the top of my head was maybe Kanye. Oh, really? Interesting. 
Interesting. But not because of anything I know about, but just because Kanye can be really volatile and we haven't heard anything about them collaborating again after the first time they did it. That is really interesting. I didn't even think about that. Did you Um, have a person in mind? Well, I mean, I went for the obvious. Uh, What I thought was the obvious uh, was Heather Mills. Um, the only thing to throw me off of that is that Paul sort of like put this person in a work context, but then Mm. I looked into the lyrics and we've got lyrics like, you think she's being friendly, but she's looking for a Bentley and she robbed a golden swan with a pill. And it's sort of like that, that sounds like a gold digger, which could be Kanye. Let's be fair. Uh, cause the song, you know, that made me sort of think like, okay, well, regardless of whether Heather Mills was that or not whatever your opinion of her might be, that was her perception in the media. So I, I thought that was maybe an allusion to her. I'm not sure. It's quite possible and he'll never tell. He'll never tell. That bastard, Paul. You could tell us, Paul. <laughs> we won't tell. <laughs> yeah, I text you sometimes. Sometimes you text me back. If you want to slip in between those like marketing texts who this is about, I yeah. promise I won't say anything. Yeah, I mean, the next time you text us about a colored vinyl, if you just like want to tell us, that would be that'd be totally okay. I'm still angry I didn't get that text. I'm sorry. It was just I think it was about the violet vinyl. So exactly, I wanted it. <laughs> the one vinyl variant you didn't get the text about. <laughs> the one color that I really, really wanted. Damn it! Well, and one more apologist thing I have to mention about this song. Yes, his voice to me was great and not like this was really good for paul like i thought it was really good it didn't stick out to me so i must not have like really picked up on the fact that it was good or bad i will take your word for it and i'll have to go back and listen to it again yeah i know there are some people who are just like his voice is just shite this time but oh they fucking say that about everybody and i'm tired of it like just it is what it is and we should be fucking grateful so and he still is making great music and sounding good on you I know, know. He, he's working his voice well i can't even i could pop off but i you know i'm going to oh, you, uh you tap should, into my inter- <laughs> well maybe some other time okay mccartney but, 3 yeah. has has made you feel more optimistic about life i see oh yes it's totally i just feel amazing about 2020 i feel amazing <laughs> it's almost over that's great this came out the perfect time just like the death rattle 2020 exactly <laughs> Thank Maybe Lavatory Lil is just 2020. Oh my god. Okay, yeah, that's that's headcanon now. <laughs> but yeah, that name is disgusting. Like, I mean, all of this is like like that's pretty bad. Like there's a lot of these lyrics where it's just they're bad. It's like you said, it's just nasty. It's like it's not even mean, it's nasty. Yeah, at first it's like, oh, that sounds like polythene Pam, but no, he's talking about toilets. Ugh. I think that's what you said. Remember when we did uh, a couple episodes ago we were talking about lavatory lil and you were like oh yeah like polythene pam or rocky raccoon you know um which is interesting i thought maybe when i was reading things he said about the song he would allude to that nope not at all (laughs) no it's just the the way his mind works with words with a very different message yes exactly but yeah i thought it was a you know a light bouncy song i wrote but yeah, I definitely get that rock edge, that rock and roll sort of run double runny kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I wrote totally vindictive because <laughs> it is. <laughs> Basically, it's Paul being bitchy and we love to see it. We're super here for that because, I mean, we still use that picture of him flashing the double middle finger as like our visual anthem for life. Yes. So 
that's been like the the go-to text image for us when we bitch to each other about stuff for what two years now ever since it came out Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's pretty much the best and we'll probably post on our instagram before this year's over because once again yeah i think that's the way we need to say goodbye to 2020 fuck yeah all right it's happening Okay, so we leave Lavatory Lil and we move on to Deep Deep Feeling. That's what um, she said. There's <laughs> a lot of that on this album. <laughs> said. Um, so Paul told Uncut, this is the crazy, quote unquote, craziest song on the album. It's so crazy. He's like, you don't know where it's going to go. It twists and turns. Uh, and it's over eight minutes. This track was started in 2019. It is a Uncut uh, according to Uncut, it's a continu- like, continuation of the liberation of those McCartney records. So if you think back to McCartney, he's liberated from the Beatles. McCartney, too, is very experimental. And those experimental things that he started in the 60s with the Beatles records. Paul has said the song was inspired by the tingling all over feeling when you love so much, so much it hurts. Sorry, I just oh had to, to get kind of mocking with that. Um, I love him. I love him. <laughs> aggressively. I aggressively love that. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Oh my god, I love it. Oh, and Paul has said that, that it co- may come off as a bit indulgent, but he said making an album is also about having fun, so he didn't bother to cut it down. And to be honest, I felt like he couldn't have cut it down. I don't think there is a three-minute pop song in there. I think it had to be the eight minutes because it sort of meanders for eight minutes. This is one that I felt was the most McCartney of the tracks, and what I mean by that is it sort of fits into the trilogy very well i gotta say i probably won't go back to this one regularly i don't think this is going to make it onto my playlist but i do like my favorite part is the last minute of the song where it sort of transforms into like a guitar ballad and it repeats its main message first sort of thing over and over and i also put down that it feels kind of like a painting to me i don't mm. know how to, to like translate that other than it's just sort of like an emotion dump. Like he says emotion a thousand million times. Mm-hmm. So, but it just sort of felt like, you know, cause Paul also paints and I just sort of felt like it was a, a sort of an impro- improvised sort of song painting. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting way of. Yeah. Putting yeah. It. I don't know, but I, no, yeah, I love that. Yeah. But it's, it's not one of my favorites on the album. I don't think. Maybe it's kind of like abstract art in a way. It's hard yeah. to have a favorite but it's interesting and it's something that draws you in with all of the different things that you can see in it. And in this case here in it, I mean, there's like an R and B feeling in the beginning. There's these regular irregular rhythms. It goes one place and then another, and then it really mellows out at the end. It's almost like trance music before it gets into that acoustic final ending. Yeah. Like it's, and there's- it's just everywhere. Yeah, and also around the 2.30 mark, there's sort of a ballady piano bit that, again, is a very Paul thing. So it's sort of like everything in the kitchen sink in this song, where I think Paul just, again, he called it indulgent. I think it is, mm-hmm. but I think it's in a way that Paul always indulges himself. I think he just sort of this time didn't bother to stop himself. And that's okay. You know, it's Paul's album. I think he's right in saying he was having fun. And yeah. I think it's it fits in perfectly with the album, the trilogy, and yeah, it makes sense. It's just not my my bag, baby. Mm-hmm. It is probably the longest song Paul has put out in a really long time. I can't mm. think of a song that's longer. No, probably some of the closers, but I don't. Yeah, I have to go back Maybe. and think about it. 
No, I don't um, know. It's interesting, but I agree with you. It's not it's not one for the best of playlist in my book. Yeah. I could see people loving this, maybe sampling it. I think some of the more esoteric listeners among us will really dig it. But I am not even hiding the fact that I'm way more pop inclined. So of course this isn't really my cup of tea. That's fine. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. So let's move on. Let's move on to the song that's in New York, right? The New York mural mm. is sliding. Yep. Oh, oh okay. What, would you like to would you like to say something? <laughs> is this where our, we start getting aggressive here? But I will. I don't want to say anything about this song because it's my least favorite track in the album. Oh, I don't like wow. it. It feels one dimensional to me and it feels like there's this class of middle of the album Paul cuts that all sound vaguely like this that he's put out over the last 50 or so years. Mm. It's definitely my least favorite on this album. It just feels like so many other songs whose names I can't even remember because they all kind of sound like this. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I... <sighs> Well, it's interesting. This this song is the only one on the album that has is crediting other contributions from people like Rusty Anderson on guitar, Abel Boreal Jr. on drums, who obviously also tour with Paul and have played on other Paul albums. Greg Kirsten's also credited on this, which you guys might remember. He produced a lot of Egypt Station. So that made me kind of wonder, is this a leftover maybe from Egypt Station? Maybe Paul had this track laying around and sort of finished it for this album. Seems like it would be given when he recorded and the fact that, you know, unless he did something virtual with them, he's right. not going to be in a recording studio with these guys. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my guess. It might not be true. I can't really find much where Paul's talking about this track, Erica. So maybe he also is like, whatever about it. I thought the opening guitar bit was almost exactly like my favorite track. One of my favorite tracks from Memory Almost Full, which is Only Mama Knows. After the string intro... And then it goes into like that slam of guitar. Mm-hmm. Remind me of that. I also thought it was kind of like when Paul thought he was in Nirvana. <laughs> like yeah, that, Servana. That really weird. Servana. Yeah. Like <laughs> that really weird period uh, that we all lived through. I did think it was a little bit like the fireman though. It had a line in it that is very much that Paul stream of consciousness. You know, we talked about it in our Fleming Pie episode where these lines sort of pop into Paul's head, like, I go back so far, I'm in front of me, where people are like, oh my God, what did that mean? And Paul's like, I don't know, I just thought of it. And in, in Sliden, he says, I can see my body through the windows in my hair. It's like, what? <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do like that line. That's really interesting. And I didn't notice it because I just didn't like the song very much. Maybe I'll go back and listen to it with new appreciation. Thank you. I actually didn't even notice it either until I looked at the the mural closer, the one in New York. So maybe if you visit it, then you'll have a transcendental experience. I have to find it still. I haven't found it. Yeah, I can't figure out where it is either. If you know where the New York mural is, tweet us or something and let us know because it doesn't have any identifying marks around it. Yeah, I have to, I, and I've got to bring this up to <laughs> our folks because they know Louie as well. But when I was on Twitter searching McCartney oh, through yeah. mural NYC, <laughs> the first thing that came up was our friend Louie Perlman, who was on our Pride episode in June, <laughs> mouthing off to the GOP about how they can basically go fuck themselves. And he mentioned NYC and McCartney 3 in it. And I was like, this is the best. I know. And I kind of 
I kind of stopped looking for the mural and just was like laughing over that. Peak Louie. That was great. Yeah, he he was so pissed off that McCartney 3 was coming out a week late and blaming the GOP, which (laughs) go for it, Louie. Fight the good fight. Why not? (laughs) Might as well. Viva la resistance. Exactly. And that's the perfect way to do it. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, um, okay. So not one of your favorites. I'm okay. I'm like lukewarm on it. Um, Hmm. I don't know if this is going to go on a playlist either. I would say there are three to four tracks on this album that would go on a playlist for me as the best of, but that's not one of them. I agree. As I mentioned. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 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 So let's get out of sliding territory and go to the kiss of Venus. Okay. I loved this one. This is the one place where I really feel like having the 12 days of Paul is a huge benefit to him because when you listen to the song, you listen through it a couple of times, it's like, it's a perfect Paul song. The lyrics are great. The melody is great. And if Paul had recorded this 30 years ago, it would have been Mm. one of the top classics of his career. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite sit right in his voice as as it sounds now. And I feel like I'm doing a good amount of, um, I don't know, just laying over my imagination over what I know it would have sounded like at one time. And I think like it almost makes me a little sad because it's the one place where it really stands out to me that Mm -hmm. I just wish that Paul McCartney in 1972 had recorded this. But I I love the song. I also love this song. I think it is sublimely beautiful I love the guitar work, the melody, sort of that trilogy of notes that, you know, hits a sharp and comes back down. It reminds me of almost like a carnival aspect, like a calliope kind of thing, Mm, which would be stretching, mm -hmm. but it has that sort of vibe to it. I think that one of my favorite parts is the harpsichord at the end, how he slips that in there. It kind of veers into Baroque pop territory. This is the simplicity of Paul that we love. This is like Paul when he gets into a studio and we'll see more of that at the album's closer, but it's sort of like a great day. It's like a Calico Skies. It's like any of those lovely little ballads that we get chucked in there on the Paul mm-hmm. albums. But I love it. I, I think it's it's absolutely gorgeous. This is a track that Paul sort of stumbled upon while he's noodling on his guitar, as he says. Um, he recorded it to his iPhone. And if you get the Japanese version of McCartney 3, the iPhone demo is actually rec- um, included as a bonus track. So look for that. Hopefully it'll leak out over the internet. And he said that, you know, sometimes he records like little snippets or parts of songs and kind of forgets about them or walks away and is like, I'll do it later. But this is one he forced himself to finish. He was like, what else am I going to do? Watch TV. I'm just going to finish the song. And of all places to talk about this song, he referenced it in the Flaming Pie archives box. So in the reissue that just came out, as an example, I think he talks about some other songs that ended up on Flaming Pie, because a lot of those started as fragments um, that he sort of had on the shelf as well. And The Kiss of Venus, I love the name. I think it's just, it conjures up images that are, you know, mystical and like the the statue and, and all the stuff. And, and the song was inspired about, you know, it's about astrology. It's about synchronicity of the universe. He said that a book he was given by Jules Holland's wife about that very thing really inspired this track, which I think just makes it cooler. It's a great track. I love it. This this would make it on 
my best of Paul playlist. Absolutely. And it also kind of calls back to Venus and Mars, which I like too. I was just I was just thinking as you were talking before, I could see this on like a middle wings album. Mm-hmm. You know, or like yeah. maybe an early like a wildlife or something. It would have been a great ram track too. Like and it, oh, it, it just, yes. it's just a great song. It fits in anywhere in his catalog. I do have that one thing about it that I feel is a shame, but it doesn't make me love this song less. I love this song. Yes. Yeah. I didn't register his voice that much on it. I think just because I'm sort of, it is what it is about his voice, but yeah, just the song itself, it shines so brightly that it can't be diminished by Paul's voice. It's, it's wonderful. The Kiss of Venus, A++. Yes. Well, gee, um, Carpe Diem. Okay. I guess we're going to seize the day. <laughs> Want to seize the day? Paul um, likes to seize the day. Yeah. Paul loves to seize the day. He says about seize the day. That's me. It's the truth. Read the sentiment what he told loud and quiet magazine he told bbc radio 6 it was a reminder to grab the good stuff to get through the pandemic we see more allusions to the pandemic which again makes it more relatable hashtag relatable content um (laughs) so season day as you might tell from the title is kind of it has a lot of philosophical moments in it but paul says that he basically followed a trail of breadcrumbs through the song so he did it in the style of a lot of other songs that he has sort of sat down and kind of just followed them wherever they would take him. And I wrote, I wrote down uh, more of Paul's brain vomit question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He said this, and I'm going to ask for your, you know what, give me, let me know what you think. Cause I have a whole thing about this. Again, it's one of these songs, uh, and we talked about it before, where this is what I love about Paul, when everybody else is talking about how much this year sucks and how much lockdown is just awful. He's finding the bright side of it all. He's following his brilliant and somewhat mad brain wherever it goes and making a song that is just like, it's just perfect, vintage, optimistic Paul. One of the lyrics that I loved, like, when the cold days come, when the old ways fade away, there'll be no more sun, and we'll wish that we had held on to the day. Like, that's just so, it it feels like it's not just one-dimensional toxic positivity. It's not that. It's multi-layered, and it's real. And for all of those folks that say that compared to John Lennon, Paul McCartney is not authentic, well, no, no. He's authentic, and this is the way it comes out. It's not quite as straightforward as John was, but when it comes out, it's brilliant. That's a great way to put that, I've got to say. But I'm glad you touched on just optimism and all of that, because here's the thing I was getting at earlier. So in an interview, and I'm sorry, I don't know, I can't remember which one this is, but the interviewer was sort of like, oh, you know, it's so philosophical. Did you set, set out to write a philosophical song? It has so many kernels of wisdom. And Paul's like, dude, I don't even know. I just wrote a song. Like I started on the path. It took me down this way. I wrote Seize a Day. And I think it's interesting how, and I do this too. We all do it. We look to Paul to sort of write these songs that have deeper meaning to them. And a lot of them do, you know, his catalog is so rich, but it's like, sometimes Paul is just a dude who wrote a song, which I think he's telling us this is kind of what that is. But that having been said, even if it is a stream of consciousness song, it's still, like you said, Erica, it sort of like belies that optimism, which he himself recognizes earlier in the album with By My Way. He talks about it. So 
even if he is sort of letting this random voice in his head or, or muse or whatever it is kind of guide this song, I think that's when the truest parts of yourself tend to come out. It's like when you're yeah. drunk, right? <laughs> it's like you go to the truest part of yourself and whatever comes out comes out. So I think that is kind of what Paul's doing. And so these songs more than anything else sort of showcase who Paul is deep down. So I think that is authentic. It, it does feel true, even if it is kind of like cheap. I don't know. Maybe that's controversial, but it sometimes feels cheap the way it comes out, but I don't think that makes it less authentic. I don't think he's doing it as a pandering thing, even though he has had the reputation over the years of kind of being a panderer, but I don't, I really think that that's kind of his style of no filter authenticity. And it's a little messy and it's a little weird sometimes, but it's inspiring to me. I mean, most people have a filter that would stop them from going down a road like this, being like, that's ridiculous or that, you know, they judge it. I, I kind of feel like, even though sometimes it's not always brilliant work. Like he just goes down those paths and sees where they go. And, and that's a really admirable quality to me. That's true. And, you know, also Seize the Day, I think, is something that reflects on where Paul is in his life. You know, he's older, he's 78. I think that kind of sentiment comes with wisdom of time. So mm -hmm. it makes sense that he would kind of adopt that saying or that, that ideal. So, I mean, it all makes sense. It just, um, it is interesting to me though, that automatically we see it as this sort of like philosophical message to like younger people or whatever. And it's, it's just a song, you know, <laughs> he's like, it's just a song that I wrote. And yes, he's Paul McCartney, but it's like, you know, he's not the Messiah guys. I'm not saying he's the Messiah. I'm saying that I appreciate the fact that he is just authentic about these kind of things. And if he is somebody who is an optimistic person, and like he says in the article about this, uh, the quote that you have, that's me, it's the truth. Okay, that's cool. A lot of people wouldn't be able to be in the world like that. And yeah. because most of the world is, you know, we get likes and retweets when we're more cynical and when we're, you know, snarky. Sometimes something like this, the title sees the day is cliche and kind of silly, but the fact that somebody's willing to put himself out there and say, this is me, maybe it's kind of corny, maybe it's kind of cheesy, but, you know, screw you. This is me. But that's kind of Paul. You know, he is kind of corny, kind of cheesy. Yeah. And that's part of why we love him, because he's, you know, that's just who he is. Maiden Rockdown is 100% sincere. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Compare that with Seize a Day, and it totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so that being said, the song itself, I thought... And I'm going to say this. I thought it was kind of Ringo-ish. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Wow. I In what way? Well, I think knowing me, you could probably tell what I mean by that. So yeah. interestingly, <laughs> as we're recording this, Ringo just released a new song. I don't know if you know that. Um, I did not. Yep. I'll send you the link. He released a new song, which is ironic because I, when I listened to this song the first and second time, some of the lyrics i could hear ringo singing them because they're kind of simplistic it's kind of that ringo peace and love kind of bullshit i don't know it's maybe just the cadence or the delivery or just the, the style of the song it was kind of ringo-ish which i don't know that ringo's material is on the same level necessarily as paul's always 
Was that delicate? I don't think that anybody, but even the biggest Ringo fan is not going to say that Ringo is a songwriter on par with Paul McCartney. But I see what you mean. I mean, I can see like Seize the Day could be, I can hear that phrase in his voice. Yeah. I know what you yeah. mean. Just some of the verses I thought too were, you know, Ringo loves like the monosyllabic delivery of the lines, like very like, you know, and just the way Paul sort of sang it or the way they, the lines are phrased, it just seemed very Ringo-ish. I could hear this on a Ringo album. Absolutely. I'm going to have to listen to it again with that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I also, at the same time, I thought it was catchy as hell and uh, one of the more popish tracks in the album. So what, what does that mean? I don't know. Uh, it's, but I, I guess Ringo stuff is also kind of that way. So it's very accessible, I think, is a good word for how I feel. Okay, so let's see. We're nearing the end here, guys. I can't believe it. I know. <laughs> well, next up, Deep Down. That's what she said. <sighs> so much that's what she said. It's and- so dirty! <laughs> <laughs> Please, Erica, take us away. That's it. That's that's all. It's a dirty song. The lyrics are dirty dirty and that's all i'm gonna say about it you sound like a bible belt mother or something i find it ridiculous when he goes down this path like the come on to me sort of songs i don't find this authentic at all fuck you no actually i love fuck you (laughs) but i mean the the dirty tongue-in-cheekness is like the best thing about fuck you yeah but come on to me i didn't really love because i felt like it was paul like posing as like some sexy dick swing and pickup artist, whatever. But <laughs> like, I feel like this has the same kind of like he's trying to fit into this role. Like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Like, look around. It's party time tonight. Yeah. Like, I don't go there with him. Yeah. The thing he's selling, it's like, yeah, the dirt, the bad side of town. Like, it's Paul, come on. Like, you don't go to the bad side of town. <laughs> this is like his impression of what it means to be a bad boy like this isn't him it's funny and the song itself gets like more interesting as it goes on musically but you know it's longer than it needs to be it's almost six minutes it's not one of the strongest tracks and it's really like hilariously dirty i'm crying like that's so funny oh yeah i agree i it's not one that i am gonna reach for it's not going on my playlist um it definitely sounds improvised, which I I wouldn't be surprised if it was largely improvised on the spot. Mm. And I'm not a big fan of jam bands or improvisation or jazz or any of that kind of thing. So I like structure in my music. So it's not really my bag, but uh, but it's got a good groove. I'll give it that. I'll have to go back and look at the lyrics, though, to assess how, how naughty he's being. <laughs> Want to get you up? Want to <laughs> get you up? Going to take a bite. Gotta let me know. We can throw a party every night. Well, maybe he's talking about like a birthday party with cake. Gotta get deep down. Wanna do it right. Wanna get deep down. Look around this end of town tonight. So he's going to the seedy end of town because they have the best cake shop for this birthday yeah, party. But then we get to, I want to pick you up. Gonna get a bike gonna let me know we can throw a party every night now i'm thinking he's like a 16 year old on a bike who wants to go get cake <laughs> i don't know why i'm making yeah. this um uh yeah i mean i don't know it's it's, it's just i'm i don't gel with it i think it's funny though but it, yeah. the song itself is is interesting to listen to and it's got some good musical sections 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with the lyrics evolve more interestingly as the song goes along. But yeah, I could definitely see him sort of just like spitting this out. I'm sure the demo sounds pretty similar to this. Okay, great. Deep down. <laughs> <laughs> so and it reminds me of the Spice Girls. Get down, get deeper and down. Saturday night. Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound anything like it, but just the title. God. So last, oh my God. Last. Wow. We're already at the end. We came full circle and we actually did come full circle because Winterbird. So the last track, Winterbird slash When Winter Comes, Winterbird opens and recalls the same uh, guitar lick from the album's opener. That very cool acoustic dissonant arpeggio that we were talking about earlier. And you know what it reminds me of now that I'm thinking about it? It sounds like the opening of Bluebird. Hmm. It's got that same kind of like high sort of twangy acoustic feel. Yeah. Oh my God, totally. I can hear it now that you say that. I didn't think about it before, but yeah. I think Paul sometimes has his favorite spots on the guitar and that's sort of where he mm. like start things. And maybe sometimes he scraps that and goes somewhere else for songs, but sometimes he just stays there. And maybe this was the case. Yeah. In this case, he scrapped it and traveled back in time 28 years oh, to a yeah. song that was done during the Flaming Pie era. Oh, you know, I love that. Flaming Pie, uh-huh. favorite album. I was so excited when I read that. When Winter Comes beautiful in my opinion it's an old track and you can tell by paul's voice that it's Mm -hmm. you know was done a long time ago um but it's actually recorded on the same day as great day in calico skies from flaming pie and he said he nearly released this on the flaming pie reissue but he didn't want it to get buried so he recognized that it was a good enough track should stand on its own and so we got it properly on mccartney 3 and interestingly this track was the one who kind of sparked the whole project this song combined with Winterbird, Longtail Winterbird, we're supposed to comprise this animation that he's going to do with a friend. And so he dug it out and hearing it again and sort of wanting to put it with this new instrumental music kind of set him on the path of making a new album. So thank you when winter comes. And also interesting is this track was sort of co-produced by George Martin. Paul is very adamant saying it's just me and guitar. I'm just recording it, just laying it down. Basically he wants the credit, but it was a George Martin session. So he gives him half the credit. I like that callback. It's always lovely to see George show up even posthumously, you know, on a Paul album. Yeah. It's interesting though, that he made a thing about that and mentioned, well, I did all of this myself, but then he has another track where he's got his band members on it and we don't really know. And he's got, you know, an actual producer. So that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's also strange that he hasn't really addressed that. Although I've seen the credits in the CD that come with the CD version. And he does say that Rusty Abe, Greg Kirsten, among others, are on this album in some capacity, but he doesn't denote exactly what they did. We can assume, you know, that Rusty is playing guitar and Rabe's playing drums. Mm-hmm. My whole thing with, you know, Sliden uh, with Greg Kirsten is that was just how I came to the conclusion it was maybe left over from each station but hopefully you know somebody will ask him about it and we'll get answers it's interesting but you know it's it's nice that George shows up for sure but that question is my first question to him when he comes on this podcast yes looking forward to that Paul can't wait Paul has sort of said this in interviews too we alluded to it earlier but the lyrics really reflect the McCartney time period the first album in the trilogy you know the simplicity of life on the farm going up to Scotland to, you know, and escaping to Sussex to escape 
the breakup of the Beatles and this horrible, horrible time in his life. And he sort of related that to the COVID pandemic now where people just sort of want the simple things and they want to have those back. And, you know, it's like missing just being outside or like tending the garden or, you know, he talks about farm related things like plowing an acre, that sort of stuff, which is, I think it's very special, you know, that it sort of applies to the very beginning of the McCartney trilogy. And it also applies to now. Yeah. And it applies to Flaming Pie, which is another very special Paul McCartney album kind of made, you know, there, there are a couple of very poignant McCartney albums and I feel like Flaming Pie is one of them. I feel like McCartney is one of them. Mm. And if he's, you know, doing something on this album, which was recorded during the Flaming Pie sessions and harkens back to who Paul was during the McCartney sessions, this is a really nice way to come full circle, not only on the album because it bookends the album with Winterberg, but to bookend the, let's say, the McCartney at home trilogy. Totally. And he has said, you know, when he recorded When Winter Comes in the Flaming Pie era, it was directly related to the McCartney experience of recording that. So it, it truly does tie in in a very amazing way. It's such a great way to end the album. It leaves it on a high note. Surprise, there's not a hidden track. Paul, come on. You let me down with the hidden tracks here. We know you love to end your albums with them. We don't know exactly what is on all of those 32 different color discs. Maybe there's a different hidden track on every color, which is why you got to catch them all. Oh, damn. Well, I guess we'll find out. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) They start shipping and people start uh, exploring them. Let that groove run out, people. You never know what's hiding in there. Well, so I we we are through this. We wow. listened to all of it. We gave our thoughts on all of the tracks. And uh, what do you think of this album as a whole? I think it is a solid effort. It is what we could have expected to come out of, you know, Paul at this period in his life. I think it is what Paul needed to make, most importantly. I like it. I think it is one of those that might grow on me. The tracks that I like, the tracks I don't like, I probably won't listen to. I'll just be honest. But like The Kiss of Venus and Find My Way, even Pretty Boys, uh, I would toss those onto a playlist and probably love them more as time goes on. I don't think it'll be one of my favorites or my Keystone albums that I would point people to in Paul's catalog, but I'm not mad about it. I mean, Jesus Christ, we got a new Paul album. Like, I'm happy with that. Whatever it could be, it could be him like reading a phone book. I don't care. Like, it's it's great. What do I do? I really like. Again, I really like the way it comes full circle. I really like the way it has a message that directly connects with what we're all going through with this pandemic. He just produced art out of a really shitty time. I really like it. I like the fact that he harkened back to his first solo album. I do think that it's a bit a bit uneven, you know, like he said himself, a few of the songs are a little bit indulgent, but I think there are some gems on this thing. And Kiss of Venus for sure. I love Lavatory Lil. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a that might be an unpopular opinion, but but yeah, I love it. I love Find My Way. I like Pretty Boys a good amount. I really do. Yeah. And I like Seize the Day. I like that that optimism from Paul. That's a really important part of who he is to me and why I think he's inspiring. I think partly because that's not me, you know, and I don't ever organically find 
the optimism in things like ever. And to see an example of somebody who does and then puts it into art is really inspiring, regardless of whether I love the the song as a standalone unit. So I think that for that reason, the album is great. Yeah. You know, again, like you said, there are some songs that I will probably never think about putting on a playlist. But then again, there are some songs on Band on the Run or Ram that I wouldn't think about that either. True. I really hope that the marketing that he's doing and this 12 Days of Paul, and I can only hope a tour on this album after we all get the vaccine will inspire some of these songs to really rise up to the level of a McCartney classic because they deserve to be. I agree. I think also looking at the album as a whole, I think whether you love McCartney more or McCartney too, very divisive, you know, especially McCartney too, you love it or you hate it. One or the other. Mm. I think there's something for both camps to love about this album. He sort of gave you both. You know, what he didn't do is any callbacks to McCartney too. He didn't do any experimental electronic tracks. That is true. A lot of the instrumentation on Deep Deep Feeling is electronic, electronic drums. I think there's some synth on there, but definitely not as blatant as it was McCartney too, for sure. But I think maybe people who love that album will love Deep Deep Feeling and people who love that album will love like Deep Down, you know, like the Deep songs, weirdly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I think people who love McCartney will love the Kiss of Venus. They'll love Pretty Boys. So there is something for both types of McCartney lovers. Yeah. I'm just going to go off on it one more time. Let's do it. If you don't like his current vocals, just pass this album by. We have a gift in that Paul McCartney made us another album. And there are gifts and imperfections. And it's fine. And he's 78. And what... A fantastic thing for him to be still giving us music and still letting us into that crazy mind of his. And, you know, you can just scroll on by. That's all I'm saying. Scroll on by. You don't have to complain. Yeah. You know, no. don't, don't, don't yuck our yum. Just go by. What'd you say? Don't yuck our yum? Yeah, don't yuck our yum. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Really? No. I love that phrase. That's hilarious. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, please, like, think before you run scampering over to the steve hoffman forums and fucking like spew your shit like like don't the one thing we should learn and the one thing i think that paul would like us to garner from this album is let people like things just fucking like yes this is a gift and i liked how you said it's a gift in the imperfection just fucking take it and let it brighten up your 2020 for god's sake you know just let let us have something nice in this year take it deep down Take a deep down breath and really look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah, feel that deep, deep feeling. Yes, yes. Um, uh, Cease day. (laughs) Uh, Yay. God, kill me. Um, (laughs) Yes. Anyway, but but yes, I take Paul for what he is. I think we're all very, very lucky that he's still creating. And also, Jesus Christ, he was more productive than me during the pandemic. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah, seriously. For real. So hats off to you, Paul, for that. (laughs) And even if you don't like every song, there's something about a new Paul McCartney album, looking at it with the lens of knowing his entire body of work. Yeah. And there's so many connections that you can make and so many interesting things to call back to. It's just a fun mental exercise to listen to a new McCartney album. Yeah, agree. So what's your favorite track? I don't know. I'm really 
between Lavatory Lil and Kiss of Venus, which are like two opposites ends yeah. of this album. I'm going to have to keep it a tie. I just love those two songs. Wow. Yeah, they are very different. Oh, um, I, I still think Find My Way is my favorite. Um, That's a great one, too. Yeah, it's just so, it's so that classic McCartney single sound. And again, I am blatantly pop. I'm a pop lover. I love 60s pop. So it kind of touches back on that for me. But yeah, I love A Kiss of Venus. I, uh, you know, it, there are some real shining moments on this record, but I think Find My Way is my fave. Also great. Yes. Yeah, there's at least four songs out of this album that I would put on a playlist, which I think is actually pretty good for almost any album. Oh, definitely. That's potentially four singles, you know, if we were a and mm-hmm. album. So that's not bad. That's really not bad. Still out of the trilogy, I think McCartney 1 is my favorite. I'm not a McCartney 2 lover. I love Temporary Secretary and Coming Up is pretty much it. So I would rank it 1, 3, and 2 for me. Same. Same. Yeah. 1 is one of my favorite McCartney albums of all time. Yeah. I, I love one as raw yeah. and unfinished and weird as it is. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's one of Paul's, the canon Paul albums for sure. Well, I wanted to give a quick shout out because I pulled a lot of the quotes and the interview things from the Paul McCartney Project. Check out the website. It is fucking amazing. Like whoever runs it and they don't do it for money or anything. They don't even have ads on the site. Um, it archives every single Paul song, performance anything that he's ever done interviews and they did such a great job with aggregating together all the interviews that paul gave about this album and about the different tracks so thank you guys over at the paul mccartney project you are awesome yeah if you want to go down a rabbit hole about paul mccartney (laughs) which i do every day go here this is amazing this is incredible we're gonna have to share and link to this site because if you haven't been here you'll probably never leave once you start. I still have it open in a tap of my browser because I'm like, well, yep, I'm going to be holiday breaks coming up. I know what I'm going to do <laughs> for a couple <laughs> of days at least for the site a little bit more. Absolutely. Yes. Well, any final thoughts on McCartney 3, my friend? I'm so excited about it. I'm so happy there's a new Paul album and I can't wait to see everybody's colored vinyl. Yes, please, please post your colored vinyl, tag us in it, or, you know, anything. We just want to see who has what. If you're collecting all of them, God bless you. If you've got that rare, rare Third Man Records version, so jealous. But yes, happy, happy McCartney 3 release day. This is such a hashtag blessed day for all of us. And Seriously, let's seize this day. Let's seize this goddamn day. How about that? By the deep, deep balls. (laughs) God, on that note, I just dropped my microphone. (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Well, on that note, thank you as always for listening to Because the Beatles. And please, I mean, after that, if you'd like to subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now, or give us a, hopefully a good rating on your respective podcast listening platform, that would be great. That way other Beatle maniacs can find us. Yes, and please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. And remember, you can always email us your thoughts about McCartney 3 at any of those social platforms or send us an email at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye. Go listen to McCartney 3. Now. Now. Now.